You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tuse, and today I'll be speaking with author Mark Chestnut about his new book, Prepare for Departure. Mark is a well-known travel writer, and his articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Forbes, Travel Guide, Miami Herald, and many others. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, let me ask you this. Over what period of time uh, did you write this book? It took several years, actually. I first started writing in 2015, writing the book, um, when my mother, as my mother started getting sicker. It was kind of a therapy session for me just to write about it. Um, and it probably took me a good four to five years to write the book, and then another year or more to find a publisher and, you know, get things underway and get it polished. So from start to finish, it's probably been about six years or so, I would say, until between when I first put put pen to paper and the publication date. Did, do you write every day? Um, or did you write every day when you were working on it? Um, I did not write every day on the book, no. I do write one way or another every day just because it's my, my living, you know, right. as a travel writer. So I'm always writing um, but I'm not the, I'm not really the kind of writer for whatever reason who sits down and has like a set goal that I must write on a cer- about a certain project every single day. So okay. m- maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. No, I doubt that. Well, let, let me ask you this. So you have this career as a travel writer. What made you decide, okay, now I'm going to try to write this full-length book, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but this full-length book called Prepare for Departure. What prompted that? You know, it really wasn't even a goal for me at first to make this into a book. It really did start as as therapy for me because I was dealing with the difficult issues of my mother's health declining, and it was becoming more and more apparent that she wouldn't be around for much longer. So it was a very emotional and difficult time for my mother and for me. And I guess because I was already a writer, as a travel writer, I guess one of my main ways that I deal with some forms of stress or difficulties is to just write it all out, kind of almost like a journal or a diary in a way. So I started that way, um, So, and but then gradually, as I kept on writing about the difficult times we were facing, a lot of the, the happy memories, the funny memories, the crazy stuff from, the, from decades past, um, they all started bubbling up, and I started realizing, well, I want to write about all this too. I want to capture all of this and share this story. So it really kind of evolved naturally into the idea of a book, which was kind of a nice way to be because it was it was a passion for me that I had to get these words out, and then gradually I realized the words might resonate with other people too. Yeah, you know, I, let me ask you this. We're going to talk about the book. You describe it as a memoir and a work of created fiction, and I want to ask you to explain that. You do it in the book. But here's a different question. Uh, you know, I used to teach a memoir writing class, and uh, students would often say that they, while they thought they remembered a particular event a certain way in their life, when they had to write it down, they discovered something new. Did you have such an experience? It's so interesting that you bring that up because I had that almost that exact same experience, really, because I think there are things that happen to us when we're younger or just recently even, and we may see them as one way when they happen, but then when we go back and reflect on them, we realize that there may be other reasons why certain things happened or certain things happened a certain way. Um, in my case, for example, there were things that happened decades ago that, you know, my mother did something or didn't do something and it upset me. And so I wrote about it. And as I go back now and look at what I wrote, 
I realize there are maybe other explanations that may not be as bad as I thought for why mm-hmm. things happen a certain way. And I found that also in the memoir class that I took. I took several memoir classes, actually, and they were a big help. And when I would submit writings like that, like a chapter or an essay about something that happened that upset me that I had a certain viewpoint on or certain reasoning about, I would give it to the other readers the other and the teacher. And sometimes they would come back and say, you know, well, maybe your mother did this for this reason instead of that reason. And maybe she was trying to protect you in this way or that way. So it really did help to give me a more objective view in a way about things that have happened to me in the past. Although I feel obviously I can never be fully objective about my own life, but it was a really fascinating experience. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about it. In the book, you describe it as a memoir and a work of creative fiction. And you explain that in the book, but for our listeners, tell us what that means. Right. Well, a memoir, as we know, is is different from an autobiography. It's similar to an autobiography, but it's different because a memoir tends to be more focused on a certain episode in your life or certain moments or certain theme of your life. So that's why it's a memoir, because it's not the story of my life. It's the story of of the the time that I spent together with my mother from from when I was little up until her passing away. So it was kind of just like a snapshot of that era. And it's creative nonfiction, really, I think. You know, I'm not even sure. I think creative. I think memoir is usually considered creative nonfiction because of the fact that it is nonfiction. It's based on true story, but you can't always remember every single detail of what happened to you when you were six years old, for example, or the, the exact details of conversation when you were 20 or something like that. So mm-hmm. there, you do have to be creative, but the goal always is if you are, if you are reimagining a conversation, for example, that you may have had with someone, you may not get the 100% of the words exactly as how they were said back in, in 1992 or whenever, but you're still being truthful and honest in terms of how you're representing the people and the emotion and the results of what happened from that interaction. Yeah. Okay, so whenever someone writes a memoir, there is always this issue of how honest to be when writing about others, especially about others that you know you didn't particularly care for. Did you have that issue come up? And and secondarily to that, you know, what have uh, family members and friends said about the memoir? Um, yeah, I mean that is a concern because I didn't want to. First of all, I didn't want to write a mommy dearest book. You know, right. I wanted to portray. Um, I wanted to portray things realistically. I wanted to show the relationship between my mother and me in particular as realistic. So it was not perfect because no relationship is perfect. Um, And so I wanted to kind of show the nuances of the ways that it was great and the ways that it was that it was challenging and difficult. So that was one thing that I did focus on. But I wanted to make it very balanced. You know, there's no there's no villains in the in the book and there's no perfect people either, especially not me. So, yeah, there is that. And I and I was careful about other people, you know, beyond that in the book. I, I would I will say that, you know, the friends and family who've read the book, they're pleased with it. And I think that they all did because I asked them specifically about that. Do you think that it's that it's balanced? Do you think it's OK? And it's not like too much on the sweet and saccharine side, but side, but also not too much of like a, you know, uh uh, uh, you know, an attack on anybody. And so they seem to feel that it is a good balance of, uh, you know, a realistic balance like life itself and that it's 
funny and it's sad and it's they laugh and they cry when they read it, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, no, and that's exactly how it struck me. It's, it's not only balanced, but some universal themes in there, which are, is always a good good pull, you know, for people reading. All right, so the book is as much a story about your mother as it is about you and your relationship with her. You've talked about it being, um, you know, cathartic, if you will. I wonder if you thought of it also as a way to pay homage to her and what she gave to you. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, um, because she obviously, almost for almost everybody, our mothers are, are among the most important people in our lives, you know, because they're always there for us, for, most, for a lot of people in the world, which is wonderful. And I did want to do that. I wanted to keep her spirit alive, you know, the, the good parts and the funny parts and the crazy parts and all that. So it is a way of kind of keeping her memory and her spirit alive and also our, keeping our experiences alive and sharing them with other people because as you said a lot of the issues and themes are kind of universal at first i thought nobody's ever going to be interested in 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 my story but then i realized it's not really just my mother's story and my story it's dealing with issues that a lot of people deal with like feeling like a misfit or caring for an elderly parent or dealing with coming out or finding your place in the world so there are some universal issues and I really love how people have given me their feedback that they can relate to certain stories because we, ha- we I think people have more in common than they often realize. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, all right. So in the book, the book chapters are set out in a certain way where you jump between time periods. And I've always been curious when that happens in the book. And by the way, you do it very effectively. How did you how did you think or how did you know, let me put this chapter going back 10 years right after this chapter that's very current? How did you decide to do that? You know, sometimes it was easy and sometimes it was difficult because there are some places in the book where it just made perfect sense. You know, like if we're what I call the present in the book is when my mother is in the nursing home in New York right. City. And then everything else is in the past, whether it's in Kentucky or in or in Western New York State or, or, or Chicago airport or whatever. So there were some times when it just made perfect sense. Like, you know, my mother and I were traveling when I was like 12 years old at, at, in Chicago and, and watching the planes in the airport. And then that jumped perfectly to the present day when we we're sitting in the nursing home watching the planes through a nursing home window instead of an airport window. So stuff like that was super easy. There are other times when I did have to really put on my creative thinking cap because I did, I felt it was a good idea to jump back and forth also to break up the present day narrative of her being ill in the nursing home. I didn't want to make it too heavy from the very beginning, you know, just focusing on that. And I felt like this story was told better and provided more depth in a more interesting way. If, if we kind of went back and forth, as opposed to just making a chronological story. Yeah, and, and I think it gives her a fullness. I, I, it, it worked really well. All right, so let's talk about some of the fun stuff in the book a little bit. So as I get it from reading it, you, unfortunately, were not an athletic child. Uh, but, <laughs> Absolutely but, not. But your mother had other ideas, and she kept enrolling you in different sports. As you look back on that, why do you think she was doing that? As a single mother, why do you think she was, she was pushing you to get involved in these different sports. Yeah, and you know, looking back, all that is so hilarious because I hated the sports and I was so bad at them and she always just wanted me to try one more sport. I think that I think her intentions were really good. I yeah. think, you know, she she wanted me to be able to to fit in and she wanted me to be able to have more friends because I was kind of socially a bit inept for several years in my early life and a little bit now too. Um 
but so I think that her intentions were good. She wanted me to have like a social life and she wanted me to be able to enjoy time with other kids my age, which I had trouble with at first. And so she just thought like it was healthy for me to be out there and to have new experiences. So that's great. Um, I wish that she hadn't, you know, pushed me to have so many new experiences on like <laughs> the playing field because it wasn't that much fun for me. But eventually, you know, she stopped, <laughs> she just stopped pushing me. She realized, I think, that I did have other things that did interest me and that I could have friends without having to know how to throw a football. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I mentioned she was a single mom. Your father died when you were young, but your grandfather has a rather colorful entry into your life in the book. Uh, for, for listeners, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my grandfather, my, uh, the family sense of humor really was handed down from my grandfather to my mother to me. And so he was hilarious. He was so much fun. And in the book, as you know, um, I included one of the, the best examples of how much fun he was and how open-minded he was. He was, you know, he was born in 1898. So my family was really old. I was kind of a surprised child born later in their lives. But he was born in 1898, and he was, you know, always lived in Kentucky or Southern Ohio all his life. But he was so cool. And so, yeah, that, in the book, I talk about how one day he found me, like, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, searching through his, his uh, he and his wife's bedroom and looking in the closet and finding my grandmother's really cool old dress clothes. And, and so, unlike most grandfathers... Somehow, I still don't remember exactly what I said, but I somehow convinced him that we should both dress up in, in his wife, my grandmother's clothing, and then dress like the Avon lady and go to visit my mother, who is in like the guest room, and tell her that I was the Avon lady and my grandfather was my mother and we wanted to sell her cosmetics. <laughs> so it was great. It was yeah, that was like one of the most fun moments of my of my childhood, and just to to be so lucky to have relatives like that who could indulge me. I think that was that was so nice because a lot of grandparents obviously would not be quite that indulgent. Yeah, and he breaks the stereotype that we we might tend to think of. Well, listen, can I get you to to read an excerpt uh, from the book? Um, I think you have one picked out, and if you need to give any background on it before you read, go right ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, well, this this chapter, I'll just read a bit from the chapter, yeah. but it's called the, Embar- the the Embarrassing Footwear Collection, and that's in reference to the fact that I had I I um I did a lot of strange things when I was growing up, and I also always tried to brand things. So like, uh, so at any rate, the Embarrassing Footwear Collection is one thing, but I the this particular passage is about um whether whether or not my mother was aware of me being gay at an early age. So. This is set in a little town called Brockport, New York, in uh, around 1976. A dramatic, unfamiliar voice slithered through the air as my mother pushed open the screen door with her elbow and gingerly stepped into the living room, balancing a pair of grocery bags that threatened to tumble from her arms. Hello, Durwood, the voice intoned, dripping with attitude. At first, my mother couldn't see who was talking. Her eyes scanned the living room and made their way up the wall to the ceiling, where she finally found the source of the bizarre salutation. It was me, ensconced atop the partition that divided the living and uh, the living room and dining and dining room. My arms issued a grand flourish towards the heavens as I widened my eyes and gazed imperiously down at her. Using only my voice, gestures, and sky-high perch, I had transformed myself into Endora, the flamboyant witch played by Agnes Moorhead in the TV sitcom Bewitched. The show was a huge hit in the 1960s and continued to cast a spell on young viewers like me through its 1970s reruns. To recreate the redheaded sorceress's magical hovering presence, I'd climb the living room shelves, 
carefully keeping my toes away from my mother's treasured blue glass collection, and I found the perfect roost. The soaring cathedral ceiling left plenty of room for me to pose dramatically with one skinny leg crossed over the other. With my cheap ringer t-shirt and plain shorts, I didn't have a witch-worthy outfit, but I certainly had the necessary arrogance in my tone. My mother never batted an eyelash when I did that. Get down from there, she calmly scolded while setting the bags on the dining room table and straightening her polyester shell blouse. You're going to fall and break your neck. At that, my makeshift Endora then lowered herself with a decided lack of witchly grace, butt first and splay-legged onto the top of the giant brown refrigerator in the kitchen before plopping onto the, nearly ki- the nearby kitchen table. I'd been downgraded to mortal once again. My mother must have had an inkling back then that I was gay, but the truth is I didn't know myself. I wasn't even sure what the word gay meant. Kids in school used it mostly to describe boys like me who sucked at sports and sometimes those also like me who they said walked like a girl, quote unquote. But we didn't have any references to educate us about issues like sexual orientation and gender identity back then. There weren't any positive LGBTQ role models in mass media, and there was no Internet to make research easy and shame free. It was all up to me to figure out on my own. (laughs) That's a funny, funny excerpt. All right. So in the book. Um, you know, as your mother starts to face her death, she does so with a really positive attitude. But at the same time, at least as I read it, the idea of losing her finally starts to hit you, correct? Yes, that's correct. It took a while. I was kind of like not in reality in a way, even though I was. Yeah, it's, I can't remember all the stages of grief, but it seemed like you were in denial for a little while. And then as it gets closer to the end, you start to realize this is really it. Right. Yeah. And I think I was afraid I was I was denying it in, for two different reasons that were opposite in a way. And I described this in the book, too. Yeah. In one way, I, I just I couldn't fathom it. I was afraid of, of losing her. So I just didn't want to accept the fact that she may be going soon. Mm-hmm. But in the other way, you know, in the exact opposite in a way, I was afraid that she wouldn't go. And I knew that her quality of life was so bad that she didn't want to be around anymore. And so I didn't want to, in a way, I also didn't want to get my hopes up that she might have like a peaceful and, and swift death soon to relieve her from the, from, you know, from the, the, the bad quality of life and the unhappiness that she was facing and the pain. So I didn't want to think, oh, you know, what if she, what if she lives like this in this horrible state for another five years? Because that does happen to some people. So yeah. I was just very emotionally, you know, confused and dealing with a lot of different emotions. Yeah. You know, one of the things that jumped out at me in the book, and, and I guess this is true for most memoirs, but it was particularly true, I think, in yours, is memory, in particular your memory of things, you know, it plays such an important part in the book. And I wonder if you think... And this is more philosophical, but I wonder if you think without memory, do, do we really exist? Yeah, that is a good f- philosophical question. Um, <laughs> I think I think we do. I'm not a philosopher, but I, I I think we exist without memory. But it's a different kind of existence, isn't it? I think you know, my mother was losing her her short term memory, yeah. so she could still talk about what she what she wore when she went shopping in Louisville when she was. 17 years old, but she couldn't tell me if if or what she'd had for lunch that very day that we were speaking. So it's just my mother always talked, you know, for decades, long before she was even old, she would talk about quality of life and how, you know, if you don't have quality of life, that it's not worth living. So and memory is part of that. Yeah. So shared memories and being able to share with people, that's 
part of being human. Yeah, and of course, your memories of all of this—that's who—that's who you are. I mean, look, we've never met, but when I read the book, I have a sense that I know who Mark Chestnut is uh, from the memories that you lay out. You know, so right, yeah, and I guess that's—it's a way of reaching out to humanity, and that's one of the wonderful things about a book, writing a book, or reading a book, and just talking about a book, whether it's yours or mine or whoever's. I think that it's—it's—it connects us as humans because. We all do have more things in common than we may realize, and to be able to just share our own stories and hear other people's stories, it's a wonderful thing, and I think it, it's been wonderful to be able to emotionally open up with more people and hear their how they relate to this story. Yeah. Well, one of the things, obviously, the book is called Prepared for Departure, and even the cover has a little airplane on it, and as I read it, you do a lot of traveling as a travel writer. Tell us a little bit about how your mother instilled this obsession, if you will, to travel in you. Yeah, the strange thing is that my mother never said that she loved traveling, but we always traveled. And uh, But a, lot, a, a big part of it was just related to family um, because we – I was born and raised in western New York State, uh, between the cities of Rochester and Buffalo in a little town called Brockport. But all of my family, both of my parents, were from the state of Kentucky. And so all of my extended family was in the state of Kentucky. So at least you know, two to three or even four times a year, every year for 17 years, we would always make plans to travel to Kentucky, so by car or by plane depending on the time of year. And so that really got me started with the travel because I did it. I started when I was six months old. I don't even remember it. So it always became, it became something so natural to me. And it also represented for me, I think, escape and excitement. It was, it was relief from my sometimes difficult, difficult life as a, as a misfit in, in school in my own hometown. But it was also the excitement of you know, seeing extended family members who treated me well, but also going to going to amusement parks or going to museums or going out to eat in new places. So it just represented a lot of things to me. Yeah. Well, let me let me end with this, if I might. Uh, well, actually, let me ask you one other one before that. You know, some writers will say that they write for themselves and others to make a social point or a political point. Now, you're writing travel uh, articles, but you've also written this book. What motivates you to write? It depends. In terms of the travel, I feel like the writing is a tool that allows me and others to explore the world and to expand our horizons. So when it's a travel, when I'm writing about travel specifically, it's more motivated by that. Like I don't see it like as I'm. My goal is not to write great literature. My goal is to open up the world to me and to others. And so it's a, it's a tool. For, the writing is a tool for that. In terms of this book. I felt it was just a necessary, it was much more emotional, obviously. And so I think it was just the need to share a story that I, that I was slowly finding out I had more in common with other people than I realized. Mm -hmm. And so it was about recording, you know, a bit of personal history and memories, but also sharing emotions and experiences that I think when we all share, it can help us to strengthen each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, All right. So one final question, then, you know, unfortunately, in the environment we live in now, uh, there's banning of books and there's, you know, attempts to pull uh, funding from libraries. As a writer, do you ever find yourself restricted or limiting yourself out of concern about the ramifications of what you write? Luckily, I haven't. And when I wrote this book, I mean, some people might think this my book is a little bit scandalous, you know, Um, 
not that there's anything that 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 odd in it even but um it depends on who's doing the reading and who's doing the judging but luckily no i mean one thing that really helps is working with a great publisher and so i'm lucky to to have this book published by vine leaves press which is an indie publisher and they never once said oh you need to be worried you know you should worry about this or we shouldn't we can't do that so that's really really good you know they had my back and were super supportive. The only thing that they warned me about was not even related to being banned. They were just saying, be careful using brand names in the book, you know, because you don't want to get sued by Ford Motor Company or something like that. So luckily, personally, my own experience, I haven't had that concern. I, you know, there are things that I thought I, I debated about whether or not to put in the book, but it wasn't related to being concerned about banned, but being banned. But I think that that is something we all need to be aware of. And we all need to be pushing back on that because it is scary how many books and how many classic books even are on lists of of banned books. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, You've been listening to the writer's forum and I've been speaking with author Mark Chestnut about his new book, prepare for departure and I encourage you to pick it up. Mark, is there a website or other social media site that folks can go to, to find out more about you and about the book? Yes, absolutely. Um, the publisher site is vineleavespress.com. And then people can also go to my own website, which is markchestnut.com. And that's spelled Mark with a K. And then Chestnut, this is the most complicated part. Chestnut has no T in the middle. So it's M-A-R-K-C-H-E-S-N-U-T.com. Gotcha. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. 